All right, speaking of Mark, would you find your way to Mark chapter 8? Mark chapter 8, and we're going to look today at the first 21 verses. Um, uh, just about half, a little better than half of this uh, passage of Scripture. And uh, if you are there, I want to give you a little reminder of where Jesus has been. He's been over at Tyre and Sidon, and uh, that's where he heals the uh, woman's daughter, or cleanses her of a demon. Um, and then he goes over to the area of Decapolis, which is a predominantly Gentile section of um, Galilee. It's on the eastern shore, predominantly uh, an area where the Gentiles live. That's going to be significant here in just a minute. So he goes over to um, that area, and the first thing that happens is he meets a man who is deaf and cannot speak. It's called a deaf mute. And we talked about that last week. And he heals this man in a very interesting way. Well, uh, he says, just don't tell anybody. Well, what do they do? They tell everybody. And guess who shows up, even though they're in a kind of a desolate area, guess who shows up to have more people healed? Everybody. Everybody they told in this Gentile era, they all come out, and we've got a, a crowd in the thousands again that has gathered. So with that in mind, in Mark chapter 8, let's begin in verse number 1. I want to read the text, and then we'll take it apart this morning. There's listening sheets back there in the back. Um, Linda does a great job making sure we all have those, and I appreciate that. Here we go, verse number 1 of chapter 8, Mark's Gospel. In those days, the multitude, being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have had nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, well, How can we satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before them, and they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, having blessed them, he said to set them also before them. So they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. Immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmanutha. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And he left them. And getting into the boat again, he departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Now remember, how many disciples are there? Twelve. And Jesus makes 
13. What do they, they call that? A baker's dozen? <laughs> and they got one loaf of bread. Now, this isn't a loaf of Wonder Bread. Although maybe that's where they got the name Tom Wonder Bread because Jesus kept making more out of it. This is a pita bread. And, and not like our pitas. These were small. These were more like rolls. And they had one for 13. Um, so they're, they're talking about, they realized that, verse 15, <coughs> then... Uh, he, Jesus, charged them, saying, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we have no bread. <laughs> but, but Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes... You, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said to him, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. Look at verse 21. So he said to them, how is it you do not understand. So I've just come up with a title of slow learners. <laughs> these, these, these disciples are, are, are slow learners and some of us can relate to that. Reminds me of a story. A guy went to work on Monday and he noticed one of his co-workers had two bandages on each of his ears. He said, man, what happened to your ears? And he said, well, it's kind of a long story, but you see, my wife and I were planning this trip with my sister-in-law <coughs> And we're expecting a phone call from her on Sunday. And I was watching a football game, and my wife was ironing some laundry behind me. The phone rang, so I reached back. But instead of grabbing the phone, I grabbed the iron by mistake. And the guy said, well, that explains one ear, but what about the second ear? He goes, well, she called back. <laughs> you know, and we, we look at her and say, how can someone be so dumb? How can you be so, so uninformed? And these disciples, they still don't get it. Have you ever had someone that just doesn't get it? They're sitting next to you right now. She probably shouldn't look at them or point. Uh, we've probably been that person at one time or another, right? So we, we, we call that joke a groaner because we say, oh, nobody's that ignorant, and that's why it's funny. But I say, well, let's wait a minute now. I think Jesus here is feeling that same thing as he finds himself in this Gentile region of Galilee known as the Decapolis with his disciples. They're super slow learners. And today we're going to see just how slow. I don't know. I think when it comes to these, this content, we tend to have these Bible glasses that we wear. Because here's the thing that trips me up a little bit. You'll recall Jesus had already sent these guys out, remember? Two by two. And they went out and preached the kingdom gospel that they heard him preach. Jesus basically had one sermon. It was the kingdom gospel. Repent, believe, and follow me. Right? And they went out and preached that. And Jesus gave them authority to heal, to prove the message. Right? The miracles were only there to validate the reality of the message. And they did, and they were successful. Like, man, they're well on their way. And then you... You come to this, it's like 
they're not well on their way. <laughs> they still don't get it. So I want to look at this together with you today and just kind of unpack it and see what we can learn from this section of scriptures. The first thing I want to point out here, letter number one in your outline is that Jesus has a plan where we can only see a problem. How many of you are glad that's true? Amen. We might only see a problem, but I assure you Jesus has a plan for sure. Um, there definitely was a problem here. These people were hungry. But Jesus had a plan for that. Now, does this first section sound familiar? Because it wasn't, it wasn't but a few months ago. The same type of thing happened in a different area. Um, and there were 5,000 men. Now, Mark's gospel records this 4,000. So does Matthew. Matthew gives a little bit more information. Kind of like the 5,000, um, Matthew tells us that this 4,000 were actually 4,000 men. So there were probably what? Women, Women and children. So in the first one, they, they, some estimates are up to 20,000 people were on that hillside the first time. And they said there were probably eight to 10,000 people uh, here at this feeding. But it was 4,000 of them were men um, here. So it, it's a lot. What are some of the differences here? Uh, one of the differences we see right away is, is how long had these people been there with Jesus in this kind of this wilderness desolate place? Three days. Right? So they've been hanging out with Jesus. I guess they were just camping out there in the wilderness. And they kept bringing more and more people to him. Jesus kept teaching and healing. into three long days. And he indicates here that they haven't eaten anything in three days. And Jesus was said, you know, it's time to send them away. But... Some of these people came from a long way, and how did they get there? They walked. There was no calling an Uber camel. You, you had to walk. And he said, look, just physical logistics here. Some of these people are going to pass out on the way home because they don't have any fuel in the tank. Other interesting thing is if you remember the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples came to Jesus. Here, Jesus comes to the disciples. Here it's Jesus that shows the compassion. And I was looking at that and said, I wonder why that is. And then something dawned on me. The first group of people were predominantly Jews. That first 5,000 men was in a Jewish section. Where were they now? In a Gentile area in Decapolis. And all of Jesus' disciples are good Jews who think what about the Gentiles? Not much, right? They weren't concerned about those Gentiles being hungry, but they were concerned about their own people being hungry. Isn't that interesting? Maybe that's why. I don't know. But Jesus has compassion. That's the first point underneath this one, letter A, is that, is that Jesus cares. How many of you are glad Jesus cares this morning? Amen. He does care. Uh, we used to sing a song. Elizabeth, you might remember this. <laughs> I think it was in Pioneer Spirit in our singing group in college. Um, called It Matters to Him About You. Do you remember that song? Um, it matters. Aren't you glad that it matters to Christ about us? Amen. It really does. He cares. Jesus had compassion on these people, where the disciples not so much. 1 Peter 5, 7, jot that down. It says, casting all your care upon Him because He what? He cares for you. You can take, and that word means literally to hurl 
Throw all your cares on Jesus. Why? Because He cares for you. Take all of your worry, all your anxiety, all of your fear, and give it over to Jesus this morning because He cares. He has compassion on this Gentile multitude who have basically been fasting for three days. I'm so glad that He cares. Here's the second thought under there. Not only does Jesus care, Jesus provides. How many, how many of you know you can care, but you might not always be able to do something about, that, about it, right? Here's the thing. Jesus doesn't just care. He shares, amen? He's got the ability to provide. And he does it here. Now, now again, can we take the Bible glasses off? He comes to his guy and says, hey, we we got to feed these people. They hadn't eaten for three days, and i got to send them home, and half of them ain't going to make it. And what is the disciples? They just see the problem, right? They don't have any compassion. They just have consternation for Jesus. His disciples answer in verse 4, how do we satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? So they're in a, in a desolate area. They're not close to any town. Again, a long walk to get somewhere where you could get bread. How are we supposed to do that? And Jesus says to them, what? How many loaves you got? Okay, hit the pause button right there. It was like a couple months ago, they just had this happen. Do you not think at least one of them would say, hey, this, this conversation sounds really familiar. <laughs> didn't, didn't we have something like this happen just a few weeks ago? None of them. Nobody. It's just crickets. It's like they had never, like the 5,000 feeding never happened. How many loaves you got? Seven. Well, tell the people to sit down in groups. What happened to feeding of the 5,000? Tell the people to sit down in groups. What in the, how do you miss this? They are slow learners. They don't get it. It's like answering the iron the second time. <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy. And before we point a finger at them, remember when you point the finger at somebody, you've got three fingers pointing back at you. We're the same way. We are so slow to believe and understand this morning. Crazy. He provides. So he sits them all down. The Bible says, and it set, uh, he took the seven loaves and he gave thanks. He broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish. And having blessed them, now he prays a second time, he said to set them before also before them. So I got these seven loaves, and again, a loaf is a pita bread. We're not talking, who cares? Who cares what was seven Italian bread loaves, right? You still got 4,000 men, probably eight to, eight to 10,000 people. I don't care if you got seven or 70, none of that's enough, right? What are you supposed to do? You obey. You know what? We tend to focus, listen to this, we tend to focus on what we don't have instead of what we do. It's the second time Jesus is going to try to get this message through to those disciples. You see a problem, but I got a plan. You see scarcity and what we don't have. All I want to know is what do you have? Don't tell me what you don't have. Tell me what you got. It's like that old song, little is much when God is in it. 
Labor not for wealth and fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. God's going to take care of you. David the psalmist said, I, I have yet to see his seed begging bread. God is not short when it comes to ability and finances and wealth. Do you believe that this morning? God will take care of you. You know, one of the few areas in, 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 in modern life that we can exercise our faith is in our finances. It really is. We start with the Old Testament, and it's only a starting point. We start with the Old Testament temple tax principle of 10%. But that's a starting place. That was meant to be a starting place, not an ending spot. I've known good godly people that have given 50% of their income. To, the, to kingdom enterprises. I think we should strive to be generous. John Piper says tithing is a, is, is a, is a modern way of robbing God. But, but we, 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 we invest our money into the kingdom. We sow it back into the kingdom. Why do we do that? It's crazy. I'm, I'm barely making ends meet. Why am I giving, giving 10% right off the top of what I make? That makes no sense in math. It makes a ton of sense in the kingdom. Because you will go farther on that 90%, then you can go on 100%. And God says, trust me. That's one thing he says in Malachi. It's very few times he says to test me. He says, test me in this. See if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing, you can't even contain it. God is not hard up. Amen? He said, guys, don't tell me what you don't have. Tell me what you do. Maybe, maybe today you need to say that to God. God, I have been coming to you telling you what I don't have. Let me tell you what I do have. Right? And out of that little, God can make much. He provides. Jot it down. Philippians 4, 19. One of my favorite verses. It might be my second favorite verse in all of Scripture. It says this, But my God shall supply what? All your need. Not needs plural. All your need through His riches in glory in Christ Jesus or in King Jesus. King Jesus is loaded and and the Father is loaded. There is no lack there. Stop worrying. Stop worrying. What a, what a beautiful truth. He provides. And boy, he provided for them. Sat them all down. Started passing out uh, these, these pita breads, breaking them in pieces, and passing out the fish. And look what happens. This is our third letter here, is that Jesus satisfies. Look at verse number 8. So they ate. And were filled. And they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000. And he sent them away. Alright, so notice. Jesus satisfies. He, they eat to the full. They don't just each get a little piece of something just kind of to tide you over. The word for full here means completely satisfied. And you have to understand, you're going you're gonna to leave this place in just a few minutes. Some of you are going to go out to a restaurant. Some of you are going to go home because there's already a meal cooking. You're going to sit down and you're going to eat till you are full. Do you realize that in the first century, that was a, an extremely rare happening for the average everyday person? They could probably count on one hand they were thank that they were Thanksgiving full. Because resources were scarce. And they had families and they had to they had to make sure their children had eaten. 
Hunger was an everyday issue. These people ate till they were full, the Bible says. That's such a significant word. And by the way, you know what that tells me? God is, God is not in it for you to just get by. He is in it for you to eat until you're full. Amen? God, God is not a, our God is not a stingy God. Jesus, when Jesus does, what did they say last week? He does all things well, doesn't he? He doesn't do just a little bit. He goes all the way. And when they were full, they took up how many large baskets full? Seven. Now, that's interesting. In the feeding of the 5,000, the word, the word for basket there is small basket. There's a different word here, and that's why it's translated that way. These are large baskets. These are much bigger baskets. And they filled up seven of those with the leftovers. And I don't know, but that these guys still did not make the connection from the feeding of the 5,000 yet. I'm pretty sure they didn't. Even as they're filling up seven basketfuls of leftovers, they're not getting it. I love it. Jot this down. Jeremiah 31, 25. God says through the prophet, I satisfy the weary ones and refresh everyone who languishes. Aren't you glad that's a truth today? God satisfies the weary ones. Anybody in here tired? All right. And he refreshes any, everyone who languishes. Hebrews 13, 5. Here's a verse maybe you need to memorize. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. That's why the Apostle Paul says to young Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. Being content with what you have. Why is it important to be content with what you have? Because what you have is what God has provided. And if you don't have it, it means God has not provided it and you don't need it yet. Even though you think you really, really do. You don't. You have what you need. God provides our needs, not our greeds. And we got a lot of greeds. And the problem with us today is we confuse our greed with our need. Your greed is not your need. Your need is your need and God knows. Amen. Trust Him. He will satisfy you. Be satisfied with what God has given you today. Point number two, unbelievers will demand a sign, but reject one when they see it. Isn't that the truth? So Jesus dismisses the crowds. <laughs> Can we just take one more look at this before, before we move to this next section? They're walking away with full bellies. More importantly, with full hearts. They're sick, have been healed. They've heard, Gentiles have heard the kingdom gospel preached to them by the Jewish Messiah. They walked away full in every way. And then, as we see often in Mark, they, they get in a boat. Verse 45, immediately, there says John's, uh, Mark's favorite word, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and, and go before him to the other... I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong section. That's, that's, verse, that's chapter 6 where the other one happened. Let me, let me go back to here. Verse uh, 10. Here's another immediately. Immediately got into the boat with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmanutha. Now, Dalmanutha is probably, you've heard of Mary Magdalene. This is probably Magdala, this, this, this area, this city on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And as soon as he gets off the boat, guess who's waiting there to meet him? The Pharisees. Yep, the Pharisees from Jerusalem. You know, they're all out and they're after him. 
Um, and and you got to understand, this is part of why Jesus is trying to keep the word down about him. He's, he's getting more and more popular, threatening them more and more. And, and there's a timeline here, right? The opposition is increasing to Jesus. And now they're, the Pharisees are seeking him out to try to, to try to trip him up. Verse 11, then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven. And notice this, testing him. So he doesn't even get to get off the boat, and the Pharisees are his welcoming committee. Um, and boy, isn't that the truth? They, uh, those Pharisees in your life, they're waiting for you. They're waiting for you. And they're not there to encourage you. <laughs> they want a sign for them. It's kind of funny in one sense. Give us a sign. And the Bible says they're testing. Give us a sign. How many signs has Jesus performed in their presence? I mean, he just fed 4,000 Gentile men. Did that go off, Jay? I feel like this microphone just quit. Is it, is it still working? Is it jumping? All right, I'm going to swap over to this. He had just finished feeding probably about 8,000 people. These same Pharisees had been there when he had caused blind eyes to see, ears to hear, cleansed leprosy, cleansed demoniacs, freed them from demon oppression. They, they had seen sign after sign after sign. They weren't really there to see a sign. They were there to trip Jesus up. And that's the first thing is that they, the first thing they do is they test the Lord in verse 11. They were disputing. They were arguing with him and say, you know what? Okay, so you think, you think you're the Messiah? Give us a sign and we'll believe. Reminds me of this story. An atheist professor was teaching in a college class. And he told the class that he was going to prove that there's no God. And he said to the class, God, if you're real, I want you to knock me off this platform. And I'll even give you 15 minutes. Ten minutes went by and he kept taunting God, saying, Here I am, God. I'm still waiting. And it got down to the last couple of minutes and a big 240-pound linebacker happened to walk by the door and heard what the professor was saying. The football player walked up in the classroom at the last minute. And uh, he walked up and hit the professor full force, uh, knocking him off the platform. And the professor got up stunned and shaken, and he said, where did you come from and why did you do that? And the football player said, God sent me here. He was busy. <laughs> right? Hey, I think the Bible says you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Remember when Jesus was in that temptation? We need to be careful with that. God doesn't do miracles just to wow an unbeliever. Remember, the miracles were just backing up the message. Number two, they grieve the Lord. Look at verse number 12. I mean, Jesus has just come off of three days of ministry. He had fasted for three days, right? He's exhausted. Look at verse 12. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. That word sighed deeply there is, is, is the same type of sigh that we see at the tomb of Lazarus when he weeps. It's a sigh of, of anger and frustration. I don't know. I think we got this Sunday school picture of Jesus. Jesus was frustrated with these Pharisees. He was angry at their, 
at their refusal to believe all that he had said and that he had done to prove what he had said. And he, he, was, he groaned in his spirit. And he told them, I'm not giving you a sign. Because that's not really what you want. You're trying to trip me up. And they grieve the Lord. Doesn't Isaiah 53 says, He is a man of sorrows, what? Acquainted with grief. And what do we do? We hid as it were our faces from him. We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Jesus knows grief. And these guys grieved him. Don't be one that grieves the Lord today. And you know what? I think the saddest part of this story is in verse 13. And he left them, getting into a boat again, departed to the other side. Not only did they test the Lord, not only did they grieve the Lord, now they lose the Lord. Jesus leaves them. Don't skip over verse 13. There's a powerful message in there for you and I today. Be careful. Be careful. What is it that God said in Genesis chapter 6? My spirit will not always strive with man. There's a, listen to me. You folks, listen. There's a day coming. You keep saying no. You keep grieving the Lord. You will lose him and you will lose that opportunity to come to him in repentance. Be careful. Be so careful. Don't lose him today. I got a feeling those Pharisees were sitting on that dock congratulating themselves. We really stuck it to them. What they didn't realize is they sealed their eternal fate. Then this last section, point number three in this ongoing story here, this narrative account. The disciples will see great works, but still be slow learners. I don't know how, but they, they are. They, they see great works, but they still, they still don't get it. Um, so as imagine that they, they loose the moors, they set the sail, they're starting to head out. And they, I, I can see it now. Judas says to John, hey, did you get the bread? And he's like, I got one pita. <laughs> I got one. And like, oh man, you, yeah, there's 13 of us in here. And then Jesus breaks in, and he's still, he's still frustrated with who, folks? He's still frustrated with those Pharisees. And he breaks into their, their little argument there, um, and he says this, 15, and he charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now the Pharisees, of course, were the religious rulers. The Herodians talking about Herod and those people that followed him, they were not religious, and they were very, very, very uh, wicked in their lifestyle. And oddly enough, we see earlier in Mark that the Herodians and the Pharisees came to, that normally they hated each other, but they became partners in, get, in, in the endeavor of getting rid of Jesus. Jesus was, listen to this, isn't this interesting? Jesus was a problem to the wicked, immoral, political party in power, and he was also a problem to the righteous, self-righteous, religious party in power. And both of those groups, which normally would have nothing to do with each other, came together for the express purpose to get rid of Jesus. 
and that is still going on today amen be careful be careful so here they are these disciples they got he said guys be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of the Herodians what is leaven it's yeast we don't hardly bake bread anymore do we I remember when mom used to bake bread when I was a kid um, I don't know why I always remember it more in the fall um, but we would we would come in from the barn and we go we, there were mud rooms up north where, where we lived on, on all the farms and that's where you take your muddy boots off before you go into the kitchen we get in that mud room taking our boots off and you could smell that oh my goodness you could smell that bread we go in I mom I have this picture of you with these loaves of brown bread and those bread pans and you would have a stick of butter and she would be melting this butter on the top the crust of this man I want to close and go home and eat right now <laughs> on the top of this oh this bread and we it was like it was glorious right but but how much yeast do you use for for a loaf of bread very very what little it doesn't take a lot right it, it, it's actually a bacteria you drop it in there and when the conditions are right with, with heat is one of those conditions right and moisture is another one those things begin to infiltrate the whole lump of, you got this big lump of dough and two or three grain tiny grains of yeast it's all you need right because what does the yeast do it infiltrates every part of the organism that it's in what is he saying be careful about false teaching be careful about wicked living because just a little bit of it will get in there and it will infect and infest every part of your being be careful and this great important warning and truth the disciples interpret it as he just mad at us because we only have one loaf of bread are you serious and we still do the same thing that's the first point underneath here is that we still misunderstand the Lord's words don't we they did not get it verse 16 and they reason among themselves saying it's because we have no bread he's told the whole leaven thing because he knows we we forgot the bread but Jesus being aware of it said to them why do you reason because you have no bread do you still not perceive or understand it's not about the bread guys I'm talking literally about these two groups of people that are affecting the way you're thinking and living and I'm telling you be careful and by the way speaking of bread how many large basketfuls did they take up and they could only manage one pita these guys are not efficient <laughs> they are not wise I don't know who's in charge of that gang but they need some lessons amen uh, we still misunderstand the Lord's words. We still take scripture and twist it. I have heard people come up with some insane interpretations in order to use the Bible to condone their sin. You say, oh, that's horrible. Yeah, yeah but be careful. I do the same thing and so do you. Let, let's let scripture speak and let it be honest, amen? And if it cuts, it cuts. If it cuts and we bleed, that means we're still alive. Don't be offended, be thankful. The word of God convicts you. And then this last part here is that we still misunderstand the Lord's work. They, they didn't get it. They didn't get it. 
verses 17 through 21. Jesus says, hey, is your heart still hard? You don't understand? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And, and, and do you not remember? Don't you remember? And now he's going to give a little history, a very recent history lesson for them. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they answered what? Twelve. Also, when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many large baskets of fragments did you take up? By the way, that was just the day before. And they said, seven. And they said to them, how is it? You still don't get it. <laughs> that's, my, that's my version. In the words of the famous R.C. Sproul, what is wrong with you people? <laughs> how do you still not get it? Physical bread, not a problem. Not, not an issue, right? We got one whole loaf here. Man, I could feed us for weeks on this thing. You guys are missing the point. You're still not understanding the Lord's work. Let me tell you, for those who don't believe today, you still are not understanding the Lord's work. The miracle God wants to point to is his death and resurrection. He died on a cross for a reason. He died as a sacrifice. He died in our place, paying the penalty for our sins. He paid a debt he didn't know because we owed a debt that we could not pay. And when he had paid our debt, he rose from the dead the third day to prove to everybody, all the spirits and the physical world, that he had conquered death and he was the sinless one. Forty days later, he, rode, he, he ascended to the right hand of God, the almighty God on high, and he is there right now. And he is, our, he is our defense attorney. And when the enemy brings just accusations against people like you and me, he intercedes for us. He said, that is true, but that bill is on me and I paid it with my blood. And the Father says, not guilty. That's what we must believe. That's, do not be slow to believe that. Don't be a slow learner when it comes to the gospel because eternity is dependent upon it. And I want to close with this. Aren't we all still slow learners? You know, I look at these disciples and I literally scratch my head. They, they, these guys, amazing. And these were not like stupid people. These, these guys were businessmen. We got a tax collector. I mean, these, these are not the bottom of the barrel, but they just, what's wrong with these guys? They had Jesus the physical representation of God himself in their boat. And they had one piece of bread. More than enough. Right? And they didn't get it. And they it's going to get worse next week. When I finish this chapter, it gets worse. They get one thing right and two things wrong. And it's like they stumble and bumble all of their way to the cross. And they fight Jesus going there the whole way. And then on that third day, Jesus shows up and rocks their world. But you know what? Even the resurrection didn't fix it for them. Because Peter goes back to his old life. But something does happen that changes Peter forever. 
You won't find that till Acts chapter 2. You know what changed these guys? A bunch of bumbling, slow learners in the special ed class. You know what changed them? Pentecost. The Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus said, y'all, you, <clears throat> you need me to leave. Because if I don't leave, you don't get the Holy Spirit. And you need the Holy Spirit more than you need my physical presence. You need his true presence in your spirit. And oh, when the Holy Spirit shows up, watch out. These guys who don't get it, get it. And they get it good. And they understand. And they change the world. And, that's, and because of the Holy Spirit in those men, that's the only reason you're here today. And if they needed the Holy Spirit to get it right, even though they walked with Jesus for three solid years and couldn't get it, when they got the Holy Spirit, they got it. Look, if, if Peter needed the Holy Spirit to get it right, who do you think you are and who do I think I am? So here's my charge to you today in closing. You need the Holy Spirit. And he needs all of you. He needs all of you. You got all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. When God placed you into Christ. But he doesn't have all of you. And that's what you need. To, that's the call to repentance today. I'm a, I'm, I'm a, as you stand right now and our musicians come forward, I'm asking you to reach out. And I'm asking you, don't sing. Just ask the Lord for the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to come and, and have all of you. Some of you have certain parts of your life that you're holding away from the Lord. I remember that. I was 18 once. I had my ideas, right? My life's going to be such and so, and, and this all of my life is for the Lord except for this little part over here. No, no compartmentalizing. You invite the Holy Spirit to have every ounce of your being, and you do that this morning before you walk out of the, don't even sing the song. You talk to the Lord. You invite the Holy Spirit to come in. You admit, I am such a slow learner. I need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit to help me understand who Jesus is. That's what they really didn't get. They didn't even know who was in the boat with them. We need to know who, and the only way we're going to know who Jesus is, is through the power of the Holy Spirit and the miracle of the new birth. And that's what needs to happen. The miracle of repentance. So you ask the Holy Spirit to have all, you give all of yourself to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. And I want you to think that through. I want you to talk that through with the Lord this morning. Father God, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we're asking you to open blinded, crusty eyes. And they're in this room right now. Our hearts are breaking over those folks right now. Lord, we ask you to, to, to give us your Holy Spirit in full measure as, and, and give us the wisdom to surrender every ounce of our being to you, Lord. That we become an instrument of your peace. Holy Spirit, you would have all of us that we would repent of anything that you show us that is offensive to you. And that we would live a virtuous, righteous, spirit-inspired, empowered life. And we would cease to be slow to learn and understand. Help us. Help us, Lord. Please just bring us to you and, and fill us with your power. That we might live a life that's pleasing to you in Jesus' name.